0: Welcome to Filling the Gap. There is an ever-growing division in this world, and that is the polarization of our society. Differences seem to be the only focus in the discussions and interactions we have, and this division has invaded more than just the realm of politics. This gap brings a lot of heartache and misunderstanding it deteriorates the relationships we have. But within this gap is Andre Wong. He dove into the chaos to bring out the things we share in common, the things we have forgotten about.
1: I'm the son of immigrants. My father immigrated from China. My mom immigrated from the Philippines and they both ended up in Portland, Oregon. My dad was a political creature. And I think it goes back to this reverence he had for America and, and what it means to be an American. And and so my dad in 1974 ran for county auditor. He'd only been in the United States for like 14 years, so he had just mastered the language, if you want to call it mastered. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, that may be a stretch. But I asked him. I was like, you know, why, why did you do that? And he said, "Because this is America, this is a land where anybody can run in a, in their community and get elected and serve. And being county auditor was one way for him to not only serve but then hold his government accountable. And I think that's that was kind of the beginning of this passion of being an American has not only the privilege but you have a responsibility back to your community. I kind of carried that." all my life.
0: Andre followed in his father's footsteps and got involved with politics.
1: In 2010, uh, that was kind of a ripe time. Well, the political environment was kind of a perfect storm for, for Republicans across the country.
0: This presented a unique opportunity. And Andre was asked by the House leader to run for state representative in the Oregon legislature.
1: The political ambition in me wanted to jump at the chance. The realist in me said, let's think about this and let's pray about this. I, I took this very seriously. I identified five people that I trusted professionally, spiritually, personally, and I told them, um, I'm wrestling with a big decision. And I didn't tell them what it was. And I told them, just, just pray, just pray for me. Pray for God's leading in this decision. I treated it as, as a calling. I said, you know, God, I'm not, I'm not gonna do this unless you make it absolutely clear that I should do this.
0: After weeks of intentional prayer and listening, Andre felt that calling. He agreed to run and met with his campaign team.
1: They go over this list of questions. Have you ever ever been arrested? Have you ever been convicted of a crime? Do you have any bankruptcies? Do you have any divorces? Do you have a mistress? Worse, do you have an ex-mistress? And I'm like, no, 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 and no. He he reaches into his briefcase and he pulls out this binder. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty thick. like three inches worth of paper in this binder says, this is the opposition research we've done on your opponent. And he slides it across the table to me. And my first thought was, so, does this mean that there's a binder this thick on me? <laughs> and, and, and they're like, well, yeah, of course. Of course there is. That's where it kind of became, got real. I opened it once. And then I didn't open it again. In fact, I gave it to my campaign manager and I said, you know, don't need this. I called my opponent and I made a pledge. I wasn't going to go negative. I mean, I told him while I was running. I said, hey, you know, you, you took these votes during the last legislative session. I don't think those are the right votes. I don't think that the, those were the votes that are reflective of our community. And in fact, I don't think that those were positions that you promised that you would take. And that's why I'm running. I am not gonna hit you on personal stuff. And we had a gentleman's agreement. We weren't gonna do that to each other. And in fact, it would be a disservice and dishonoring to our community to go negative.
0: With the groundwork covered, it was off to the races.
1: So I run the race through 2010. Interestingly, my son is born in the middle of the campaign. He's born in June of 2010. I'm I'm trying to think, it's like, okay, how can I, like, get some political mileage out of this? So, um, so after he's born, my campaign releases a press release about my son being born, but that after he's born, he holds a press conference endorsing my campaign. We send out this press release, and it's June, it's summer, no one's paying attention to politics. And, well, for, for 2010, it kind of goes viral. People just pick it up, and they're like, this, "This is the greatest press release that we've seen from a political campaign." You know, the, you know, this baby comes out and endorses his dad. I mean, what's more precious than that? Then, of course, I had to go door to door and had to meet voters, and which, which is the fun part of campaigning. That's that's why I that that's what I loved about running is is just like the actual campaigning. And so I would go door to door with my baby son in a baby Bjorn. And I went up to this house and I could tell by the signs and bumper stickers on their car that this was a probably not not a friendly voter. (laughs) But you know what? I went to every house because I mean, I'm not there just to serve people who agreed with me. And so after I introduced myself, she goes, now that's just disgusting. That's just shameful that you would exploit your little baby for your own political ambitions. And so I'm thinking, well, what can I say to defuse this? So I said, well, actually, ma'am, this isn't my baby. I'm renting him from my political ambitions. <laughs> and so she laughs, so, thank goodness. And what happens is we actually have this great doorstep conversation of stuff that we disagree with, but that we do have stuff in common that you know ultimately we we want a better Oregon and we want a, we want better schools and a better economy. That was just a great example of what political discourse can be. So at the end of the conversation, we're happy and we're smiling now and and then she says, so so what's your baby's name?" And I said, Reagan. And then she goes, Oh, oh, that's just terrible. Oh, no. Uh, and then so I looked down at him and I said, Okay, Brock, let's go. <laughs> I wrote her a, a card and I said, You know, I appreciated you allowing me the time to talk. So thank you. Because I, I know that you were probably not a friendly voter. And she wrote back and she said, You know, because of our conversation, I will consider voting for you which, like I said, judging from the bumper stickers and signs in front of our house, I would have just, you know, any other candidate would have just walked on. As a candidate, they have you go to these different organizations, business groups, issue groups, labor unions, education groups, and these groups will interview the candidates and they will give you an endorsement, which is a big deal because, you know, because if you're a, a candidate, you could can say, well, hey, I've been endorsed by these people obviously uh, the way it happens is well you know issue groups are either you know you're either red or blue if you're let's say a business group then you you probably have a tendency to you know to support republican candidates if you're a labor union probably you're going to support democrat candidates and so i was told that there's no point in going to these unfriendly groups just go to the ones that will endorse you basically What's the point of that. So I actually went to all my interviews, and I would sit in front of, let's say, let's say, an environmental group, the Sierra Club. I would go to the Sierra Club interview, and they would look at my paperwork, and they'd, they'd say, what are you doing here? You're a Republican. I said, yeah. They'd say, well, but no Republicans come in here. I said, yeah, that's really too bad. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, and let's talk about it. I wouldn't get their endorsement, but at least I... I hopefully got their respect in the area of public discourse. If I didn't show up, that just sends a signal of, well, you know, he's not going to listen. But if I could say, you know, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. We may not agree on a lot of the stuff, but at least I can hear, from what, hear about what you, where you're coming from and why you believe what you believe. And then I'm not just going to hold it against you that you don't agree with me and I think that's why we're in, we as a society, we're in the position we're in today. Political discourse has become this false belief that you've got to persuade the other person that they're wrong. When actually discourse is the free exchange of ideas, not only telling, but listening and learning. That's why I go up to the lady's house who has the unfriendly voter bumper stickers and stuff because she has a position that I would like to learn about and and know about. When I ran in 2010, I saw this as an opportunity to do it right. And And so that's why I went to every house, I went to every organizational endorsement interview, whether it was a friendly organization or unfriendly organization, I went to their interview because of of that spirit of, of listening and understanding what their particular position was. Yeah, I think that's probably the spirit that we've lost in our culture.
0: Andre did not win the race, but he served his community for four years, working for the Oregon Chamber of Commerce. In 2015, he felt another calling to work at the North Pacific Union. Since then, a lot has changed for our world. And this idea of civility and what it means has frequently been on Andre's mind.
1: When the word civility comes up, people think of acting proper at a formal dinner and where forks go and is the spoon in the right place and sitting straight and all that. When I think about the word civility in the political context, it just comes back to respect. Having just raw respect for another person's humanity and the positions that they have. For some reason, somehow, somewhere, we've lost that. My parents brought me up to not only just be respectful, but to also acknowledge and respect that other people are different, ethnically, religiously, and politically. Hey, you believe differently than me? Great. I'm interested in that, tell me more. Now it's, oh, you think differently than me? You're a bad person. That's really what gives me angst. Facebook and social media is just a really interesting thing. And in real time, I get to watch friendships come to an end. Multiple times a week, I am watching friendships or family relationships come to an end based on what they believe. It's easy to dismiss the person you believe this or you support this, I can't have you in my life anymore. Talking with some people, they, you know, they will say, I just can't have something that toxic in my life or have somebody in my life that supports what they believe is evil. Um, okay, I, yeah, I, can, I can see that point. But someone's evil for a position that they hold? What I've noticed a lot more is if people aren't dismissing each other, the second thing that happens is it's easier to correct the person. And that is um, really this byproduct of incivility of where we have a bunch of people out there correcting each other. And I'm using that word very, very politely because we see a lot of inflammatory language of of correcting each other's opinions. Um, And, you know, why don't we just step back and instead of dismissing or correcting, we just listen? And I'll extend that courtesy to you, and you extend that courtesy to me. And let's work out those differences through what we know we have the same.
0: Andre has seen this polarization from various perspectives. He sees it in the world of American politics and inside of church.
1: Having been a lifelong Adventist, there is this underlying culture in Adventist circles of avoiding conflict. And how can we live harmoniously amongst ourselves and with others in the world if we have conflict, which means taking positions on an issue. And if you take a position on an issue, that means you've got to disagree with another person who has a position on the an issue. And you know, by definition, that's conflict. Open the Bible to the book of Genesis. I mean, right there at the beginning of the Bible, there's conflict. You know I mean? So it's, it's not that we're called to avoid conflict, but how, how do we deal with it as Seventh-day Adventist Christians and as Christ-following human beings? There is a way that we're called to be conflict-resoluters. Yes, maybe it is a moral issue to some. I have moral positions as well. But I am not going to condemn you for having an opposite belief.
0: And what better example of conflict within a church than a general conference session? The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a global entity. And every five years, we gather to discuss policy, give updates, and to celebrate that we are a people from different countries, backgrounds, and cultures and all share a common faith. But this is also an event where we get to discuss the issues of conflict within our church. And sometimes it gets pretty messy.
1: My first general conference session was in 1990 in Indianapolis. I went there as part of the choir from Auburn Academy. And the day that we sang was the day of the ordination debate. Watching that discussion on ordination, I said to myself, I'm gonna get involved in my church. And I became like a really fervent, like this was is the issue that church didn't ordain women. You know, we're doomed. I mean, I don't know if it's with age or, or what, but I just, you know, I kind of like grew. And I, I said, you know, I have this position and it's a moral position, but I'm not gonna condemn somebody for having the opposite opinion. And I'm certainly not going to burn my church to the ground if they don't believe the way I believe. Since then, there have been five general conference sessions. They haven't adopted the position that I want them to adopt. But yet here I am. Here I am still believing in what the Seventh-day Adventist Church does and the mission that it stands for and the work that we do and still trying to listen and understand. In
0: 2015 the general conference session was held in San Antonio, Texas. I was there at the session working and watching it all unfold behind my camera. Andre was there too. And what we both saw and experienced was disheartening to the both of us. No one was listening to each other.
1: You know, and I I think about that day. The whole day was dedicated to talking about this issue. But yet the spirit of of discussion was overshadowed by these points of order. I mean, you, you talk to anybody that was there and they're like, what do you, what do you remember about that day? And they're gonna, they'll probably mention, oh yeah, all these points of order that came up. So I was there in the Alamo Dome when the discussion was happening. And honestly, I didn't know what to expect, but I didn't expect what I saw or heard. What I experienced was a church in division. There was this tension in the Alamo Dome that, that just permeated everything. It was disappointing. It was, it, was, it was really disappointing. I know people that left the church after San Antonio. Trust me, I get it and I understand. You know, the pain, it was, was so real. And I walked out of the Alamo Dome crying too.
0: Since the General Conference session of 2015, this topic has grown to be more divisive in the church. So much so that the leadership in the General Conference has made decisions to attempt to rein in the issue by imposing compliance to the policies of the General Conference.
1: I don't think that anyone in this, in this in the ordination issue uh, are are bad people. We have very profound differences of position. The people who are willing to fracture the church on this issue is very concerning to me, regardless of what side they fall on the position because because I love this church and I've chosen to use my professional talents to, to serve the church. So to me, the mission of the church is bigger than the issues here that people are willing to die on this hill on and I don't mean to say that as demeaning their position but God has us here and God has this church here for bigger things
0: Andre's story teaches us one thing and that is we need to listen there are many people whose lifestyle beliefs and choices you may not agree with and you may encounter them on this podcast the responsibility that we have you and i is to listen in a world where everyone seems to be talking over each other and watching the gap grow between us i want to listen like andre did